0: Revelation 20, beginning at verse 11. Let's read together, shall we? Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, Lord, your presence has been so so dear and so real to us today. Thank you. Now I ask that you will open our hearts, that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, And I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I ask, O Lord, that you will draw them to a place of repentance, that not one of them will be lost. Father, I pray for people who are present in this house and people who are part of our service online today. If there's anyone that is not in right relationship with you, I pray that somehow you will break through to them. And that today will be the day that they surrender their life to you. I pray these things in the only name that matters. That wondrous name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The text for the message today is a somber one. And it's a sobering message I bring. In these few verses, we are told about the scene that will occur immediately at the end of the millennial kingdom that I was preaching about last Sunday. These brief verses describe one of the most dreadful scenes imaginable, the final judgment. As we turn our attention to this passage, I want to remind you once more, as I have done several times during this series, that what I'm preaching today isn't fantasy. It isn't science fiction. It isn't something conjured up from strange dreams or a warped imagination. This is reality. This is the great event decreed by God before the end takes place. The scene that is described in the text begins with the beloved Elder John writing, Then I saw. And in this scene, there are four things I want to point out that he saw first there is the fearful setting described verse 11 describes this fearful setting like this then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them can you imagine earth and heaven fleeing from the presence of the one on the throne Throughout this revelation, John has seen some incredible things. But when we come to this scene, we find that he sees an awful place. Not awful in the sense of terrible or bad, but in the sense of awesome or awe-inspiring. Almost too intense for words to describe. John sees a throne. He tells of the power of the throne. It's called the Great Throne. He tells of the purity of the throne. It's called a great white throne. He tells of the purpose of the throne. It's a place of judgment. Next in this vision, John is able to see an awesome person. He says, I saw him who sat upon it. That person is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 5, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. See, right now, Jesus is the Savior, but on that day, Jesus will be the righteous judge. See, the one sitting in judgment of you is not going to be your best friend. It isn't going to be your parent. It isn't going to be your pastor. It isn't going to be your colleague at work or the people in your neighborhood. It isn't even going to be your own opinion of yourself. It is Jesus who is going to sit in judgment of your life. It doesn't matter how you feel about Jesus. It doesn't matter what you choose to do with him. You may mock him. You may curse him. You may ignore him. You may debate him. But there is coming a day when you are going to meet him. And he is going to sit in judgment over your life. Jesus Christ is the unavoidable, inescapable person in your life. This fearful setting is an awful place with an awesome person sitting on the throne. Then John says that it... Puts us in an awkward position. Verse 1 continues and says, From whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. You know, chapter one of this book of the Revelation gives a picture of Jesus that helps us understand something of His awesomeness and his majesty. This one sitting upon the throne is wearing the regal robes of a king and a judge. His hair, white as wool, speaks of his absolute purity. His eyes, like a flame of fire, means not only that he sees you, but he sees through you. He knows all about you. He cannot be deceived. He cannot be discredited. He cannot be disputed. His feet are like fine brass. Brass in the Bible is a symbol of judgment. He is going on relentlessly to judge. He is unstoppable. His voice is like the sound of many waters. When he speaks, it's like a hundred cascading waterfalls. Can you imagine somebody standing and arguing with Niagara Falls? No wonder, John says, from whose presence the earth and the heaven fled away. That means that everything stable is gone. Everything we thought of as being solid is no longer there. You know, there's an old spiritual we used to sing around the church that said, I went to the rock to hide my face, and the rock cried out, no hiding place. There's no hiding place down here. Adam, you remember, fled to hide from God in the trees in the garden. But there will be no garden trees in which to hide on that day. Everything is laid open and bare in the presence of the Lord Jesus upon the throne. In this passage, there's the fearful setting described. The second thing this passage reveals is the forceful summons delivered. It's in verses 12 and 13. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up their dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. At the end of time... A summons is going to be issued for you to appear before the heavenly court. And I want to tell you, you won't be able to ignore that summons. And when the Lord issues the summons, He isn't going to have to file extradition papers. This summons is going to be for both the great and the small. It doesn't matter how powerful you fancy yourself to be, it doesn't matter how insignificant you think you are, it doesn't matter whether you're a big shot or a little shot. Or a no shot, you're going to stand before the Lord. Let me tell you about the people who are summoned to stand before the Lord. First of all, there are those who are the out and out sinners. These are the people who hate God, hate Jesus, hate the Bible, hate preachers, hate the church. They will stand and shake their fists boldly and brazenly in the face of God and say, If there is a God, you're not big enough to make me serve you. There's another group that is summoned. These are the self-righteous people. These are the ones who think because you're not an out-and-out sinner, you're a pretty good person. You think you're okay. You think the gospel is for the thief and for the murderer and the drunkard, but, but, you know, you don't really need it. It's not for you. I mean, you're nice people. You drive nice automobiles. You live in nice houses and nice neighborhoods. You're members of fine clubs. You have nice families. You're good neighbors. You don't think you need to be saved because of how good you are. I'll tell you about a third group of people who are summoned. It's the procrastinators. These are people, they're sinners and they know it. You have every intention of being saved, just not today. I mean, you're waiting for a better, more convenient time. I mean, right now, you have a a life to live. You have plans to make. You have goals to achieve. but, But someday, you intend to be saved. There's a fourth group of people who are summoned before this heavenly court. It's the religious. You're church members. You've been baptized. You attend church. You give in the offering. You support the pastor on his bicycle ride for missions. <laughs> Notice how I just slid that right in there. You sing in the choir. You greet people at the door. You serve in the women's ministries but you've never truly and fully surrendered your life to Jesus. Let me tell you, there are people who will die and go into eternal punishment from the church pew because you trusted in what you can do to be saved rather than trusting in what Jesus has already done. These are the people who are summoned. And then this passage reveals the place from which they are called. They're called from death and from Hades, they're called from the sea. See, no matter what has happened to your body, cremated, buried in the sea, in the wilderness, in the desert, from the ends of the earth, you'll be called forth. There is no place you can go to hide from being called to this judgment. When an unredeemed person dies, death comes after your body and carries it down to the grave to disintegration. But there's a part of you that doesn't go to the grave. It goes to what the old King James Bible calls hell, which is the Greek word Hades. This is the place of departed spirits before the final judgment. This, this is the, the holding place for the soul of the redeemed person before the final judgment. It's, it's, uh, it's like a person commits a crime. He's indicted by the grand jury, but he's so dangerous that the judge won't grant bail. So he puts him in the county jail... And he's held there until he's judged. Once he's judged, then he's put in the penitentiary. The lake of fire is the eternal penitentiary. Death has the body. Hades has the soul. But then look not only at the people in the place, but look at the power with which they are called. These are people who have died, but they are called from the dead. The body is resurrected. The spirit is returned to the body for them to stand before the judgment throne of Jesus. The resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same resurrection power that will raise the unredeemed. Acts seventeen thirty one says that God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. What that simply means is that the proof positive of the judgment is the resurrection of Jesus. See you can't hold court if the judge is dead. Furthermore, you can't hold court if the defendant isn't there. But the same God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same God who is going to bring you into judgment. In this passage, there is the fearful setting described, there is the forceful summons delivered. Now I want you to see that there will be fatal secrets displayed. Verse 12 says, The books were opened and that the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds listen listen god is keeping books god is keeping record he's recording the secret things that nobody else knows about ecclesiastes 12:14 says for god will bring every act to judgment everything which is hidden whether it is good or evil. Jesus said in Luke 12 and 2, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. In Matthew 12 and 36, Jesus said, but I tell you that every careless or every idle word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. That's why Romans 2 and 16 says, God will judge the secrets of man through Christ Jesus. Hmm. He's going to judge things you've done that nobody else knows about except him and you. He's going to judge things you did that your mother and father don't know about. He's going to judge things your wife or your husband doesn't know about. He's going to judge things you've repressed, you've tried to put out of your consciousness. There is no statute of limitations. God has a record. God is keeping books. Every idle word, every careless word, every time you took the name of the Lord in vain, he has a record. One of these days, anything that hasn't been washed away by the blood of Jesus is going to be revealed. Skeletons will come out of the closet. That which has been talked about in secret is going to be shouted from the housetop. The books are going to be opened. Then this passage shows the final, the final sentence determined. It tells first of the sureness of this judgment. See, you won't be able to bribe the judge. No slick lawyer is going to be able to get you out of it through some legal loophole. God swears by himself that you'll be judged. There is no escape. That's what it means in Hebrews 9, 27, and inasmuch as it is appointed to men, for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. That's what it means in Romans 14, verses 11 and 12, for as it is written, as I say, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Not only does this show the sureness of the judgment, but it also shows the severity of the judgment. Verse 13 says you're going to be judged according to your deeds. Listen, listen. You are saved by grace. But you are judged by works. It is your works that demonstrate the action of grace in your life let me say that again it is your works that demonstrate the action of grace in your life when it says you'll be judged according to your deeds it simply means at the judgment seat of Christ there is no mercy if you want mercy you may have mercy today if you want forgiveness it's available you can have it today But if you turn your back on the gospel today, if you refuse to surrender your life to Jesus in this age, you won't have the luxury of standing before the judgment seat of Christ and begging for mercy. This was the proclamation of the Old Testament prophet in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 18 and 19. He proclaimed, when the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, then he shall die in it. But when the wicked turns from his wickedness and practices justice and righteousness, he will live by them. This is the message of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 through 31. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Hebrews has gone through this whole book talking about how much better Jesus is than anything else they've experienced under the law. And so he says, under the law... You die without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And then he gives this commentary. It is a terrifying thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. If those who despise the Old Testament Mosaic Law were judged without mercy, how much more severe will be the punishment of those who have rejected the Son of God and his atoning work on Calvary's cross? This trial before the judgment seat of Christ is like every other trial, and there are three parts to every trial. First, the evidence is presented, the books are opened. Your deeds are revealed. Every lie, every curse, everything you ever stole, every gray hair you gave your mother, every infidelity, every cowardly action, every secretive hidden thing that was in opposition to God's way, God wrote it all down. And then your thoughts. God wrote down lust as adultery. He wrote down hatred as murder. Not only your actions and your thoughts, but also your influence. Those who were watching you and your behavior influenced them to do wrong. And then your failure to do good and to do right. I mean, you knew what you should do, but for whatever reason you want to give, you failed to do it. All, All of those things are in the book. They're opened as evidence against you. Then the second part of the trial is when you have an opportunity to make your defense. Think about it for a moment. If you were summoned to stand before Jesus today, what would be your defense? If you've ignored him, if you've resisted his invitation, if you haven't followed his plan, if you haven't surrendered your life fully to his lordship, if you knew what he wanted you to do but you willfully refused to do it, what are you going to tell him? What, what, what's your defense? What's your defense? Maybe, maybe you'll want to stand before him and offer the excuse that you you would have served him, but you just didn't know which church to join. I mean, after all, there are so many. No, you got your Baptist churches and you got your Methodist churches and you got your Presbyterian churches and your Episcopalian churches and your Anglican churches and your Pentecostal churches and your Catholic churches and your non-denominational churches and your independent churches and your fundamentalist churches and your evangelical churches and your charismatic churches and your Calvinist and your Armenian and your Wesley, and your holiness and your reform. You just didn't know which was the right one. And he will look at you and he will say, I didn't say believe on the church. I said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Or maybe you'll stand before him and try to tell him you would have served him. But you know, there are all those hypocrites down there at Restoration Church. Why, you knew a man that sang in a choir who was the biggest hypocrite who ever lived. And he'll respond, I didn't say believe on people. I said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Or just maybe you'll stand before him and say, you know, the reason I didn't serve you is because of that pastor down at Restoration Church. I mean, after all, you came to church expecting to hear some encouraging words. Right after a hurricane, of course, you know, some, some helpful tips to get you through the week. Instead, what you got was Pastor John in the pulpit preaching on judgment. And you just didn't think that was the right time and the right place to, to do such things. After all, people need to come to church and be encouraged and lifted up and affirmed, especially after a storm. You just didn't care for that old Pastor John. And the Lord will say, I didn't say believe on the pastor. I said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Or maybe, maybe you'll try to tell him you would have served him. But you didn't want to commit to something until you were sure you could live it. You didn't, you didn't want to be a hypocrite. And the Lord will say, I didn't tell you to believe on yourself. I said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The evidence is presented, you make your defense and then the verdict of the court is handed down. Verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The verdict is that the one who denies Jesus before men The same must he deny before the Father in heaven. You see, the truth is you get to choose your destiny. You do. The one who follows Satan will receive the same fate as Satan. The one who follows Jesus will receive the same reward as Jesus. Jesus. It isn't God's will for anyone to, be, to perish. It isn't God's will for anyone to be lost. It is his will for all to be saved. C.S. Lewis has captured the heart of the matter so powerfully. He said that everybody in the world is in one of two categories. Category one is those who are like Satan and say to God, not your will but mine be done. Category two is those who are like Jesus and say, not my will but thine be done. Those in the first category who are autonomous and live self-controlled, self-concerned, self-centered lives will one day drop into the lake of fire and a broken-hearted God will say, not my will, but thine be done. Now, before we get out of here today, I want to tell you there is a way to escape that verdict in the lake of fire there's a way to escape the final judgment romans 8 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus the story is told of some men who are out on a prairie surrounded by tall brown grass in the distance, they saw a fire, and the winds were blowing and whipping the flames right toward them. They began to run, but soon realized they could never outrun the fire. They began to panic, and they cried out, We're going to perish in the flames. But one of the men in the company knew the ways of the wild and said, No, we're not going to die. He reached into his pocket, took out a book of matches, And at his feet, he set fire to the grass in front of him. Now the flames are coming toward them, and the fire is burning away from them. One of them in the group shouted, you fool! Now we're surrounded by fire. The man said, no, just wait. I know what I'm doing. He said, wait until this fire burns away from us. And then step over here step over into the burnt-off place. He said, you do that and you'll be safe because the fire can't come where the fire has already been. And I want you to know today there is hope. The fires of God's judgment fell upon Jesus at Calvary. If you'll stand with him at Calvary, the fire cannot come where the fire has already been. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He invites you to come to him just like you are. I'm telling you, (laughs) you can settle out of court. So you don't have to stand and be judged and then be sentenced to the fate of an eternity in the lake of fire. I want to know today, how many of you can testify that you know you're saved? Can I just see the hands of those who have surrendered your heart to Jesus? You know you're born again. Praise God. Somebody ought to just praise God for saved people in the house today. Now, if you couldn't raise your hand, I want to help you get things settled today before you leave this service. I'm going to ask everyone, if you would please, to bow with me for just a moment. And I'm going to ask you to repeat all of this house. Everyone repeat after me this prayer. Almighty God, I want to come and stand where the fire has already been. I come to Jesus today I come to the cross I surrender my heart by faith to Jesus you've told me that if I would trust in him you would save me Jesus I do trust you I believe you are the son of God I believe you paid for my sin debt with your death on the cross. I believe that God raised you from the dead. Right now, by faith, I receive you. Come into my heart. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Save me. Transform my life from the inside out. Thank you for hearing my prayer and for saving my soul. Oh, Lord, you died for me. Help me to live for you. Because I don't want you to be ashamed of me. I'll not be ashamed of you. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, each week that I've asked you to pray that prayer, I've reminded you that saying those words, repeating that prayer after me, that is not what saves you. You you can say all the right words and still be lost because it isn't about repeating words. That prayer is nothing more than a tool to help express a desire of the heart. Salvation comes because you decide in your mind and you mean it in your heart you surrender your life to Jesus and you follow his way rather than your own way if you have truly done that either for the first time or for the 50th time I want to help get you started in your walk with Jesus when you leave this service today if you have surrendered your life to Jesus if you'll stop at the information desk I have a book I want to give you that will give you the next steps you need to take in your new journey with Jesus. And I just want to take another moment before we come to the communion of the Lord's table. And I want to speak to those who are watching this service online. Some of you are watching it live. And some of you are going to watch it later. I don't know when you're going to see this service. Some of you, it may be weeks from now when, when, when this gets to you. But I just want to tell you, Jesus loves you. He cares for you. And I may never know the decision you make. It isn't about me knowing. It's about you making the decision in your heart to trust Jesus. I beg you. I plead with you. This is the most important decision of your life. Surrender your heart to Jesus. He's inviting you to come to him right now. Don't wait. For that awful day when you stand in his presence. If you'll take care of the sin problem now. Get it under the blood. Get it washed away. You won't have to worry about standing in the judgment of Jesus. When the books are opened. The only thing that's going to be there is the blood of Jesus. Covering over every sin. Trust Jesus today. I, I urge you.